Thank you for that bright, sparky hello. Might wake a few more up. Middle week of the school holidays, the parents are just looking tired already. Teachers look energetic. Um, all right, let's get stuck in this morning. What are some words you think that could strike true fear into the heart of Christians and churches? You know, like maybe tithing, um, Bretho churches, maybe emotions, um, Pentecostals, it might be context. Um, so, you know, that these words that might strike true fear uh, into the heart of people. Now, there is, I think, one word that is more terrifying, that causes more fear than all of those others. That word would be foot washing. Some of you been in a Christian place, gone to a church, church camp, I don't know what it might be, and someone's walked in with a basin and a towel over their shoulder. At that moment, terror, people. Well, there is for me anyway. I would rather be literally anywhere on the planet at that point than in that situation of Christian foot washing. Anyone, anyone else been here in that place? Surely, surely, yeah, yeah, there's a few, few tentative hands they've tried to forget. Um, look, the reality is it happens sometimes. I don't know why it happens. Calvin, I was thinking we should make this part of our church partnership agreement that you actually sign up to say you will never do this, right? Um, it, it just should be front and center. So the question is why? What is it about foot washing? that makes it so rough? Well, the reality is, I don't mind the thought of needing to wash someone else's foot. I mean, it's not like I'm into it. I don't walk around looking for people's feet to wash. But, but I find the thought of washing someone else's foot way easier than having your own feet washed. There's just something that feels very awkward, very, I don't know, that feels like that person is being subservient to you in, in some way, and it just does not seem right. So the question is, why? Why do churches sometimes decide that this would be a good idea? Why is it that I've been to events where people have pulled out the tub and the towel? Why is it that we like to inflict this on one another? Well, in evangelical churches we state that there are two sacraments or ordinances, which simply means there are two things that Jesus has commanded the church to fulfill forevermore. So what are those two ordinances? Well, firstly, baptism. We've been told that we should go into all the world making disciples and baptizing them. And so that's what we do. We baptize one another. And we would all agree that that is a biblical command. Secondly, we just took communion. And Jesus told us that we should, whenever we gather together, as often as we gather together, take communion in remembrance of him. So we have baptism and we have communion. But there are some churches, Anabaptists, who practice three. Baptism, communion, and foot washing. Why? Why do they do that? Well, that brings us to our passage this week, John 13. If you have your Bible there, we're going to read John 13, 1 to 20. John 13, 1 through to 20. Listen very carefully. John 13, 1 to 20. 
Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly I tell you, whoever receives me, receives anyone I send, receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now note what Jesus said, particularly in verses 14 to 15. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. Jesus says, I've given you an example of what I've done. Now you should follow this example. So is that not the same as communion or baptism? Jesus told us to take communion, we take communion. He told us to baptize, we baptize. He told us to wash feet, we run for the hills. Right? So, so what is it? Why don't we have three ordinances? Isn't it at least plausible that groups like the Anabaptists are right? If we are commanded to wash feet and Jesus is our Lord and Master which as Christians, that's what we believe, then that's what we should do. Well, to truly understand our passage this morning, we need a little bit of context. There was a certain culture, a certain era in the time that Jesus said these things. So what was the point of foot washing? Well, it's quite simple, isn't it? The Roman roads, many of them were really good. Some of them still exist to this day. Struth, look at our roads after a lot of rain. Roman roads are still going strong 2,000 years later. Like, I don't know, we need to go back in time or something. But anyway, 
they built roads, and a lot of them were good, but there were still dirt roads, but plus all of those roads had a lot of animals trafficking on them, etc. So we have dirty, uh, dirty animal dung-filled, disgusting kind of dirt roads at times, etc. So when footwear was sandals, and you were constantly walking on those sort of roads, well, your feet would get filthy, really filthy particularly for Jewish people where there was always the chance that a pig or something had been on that road and you could step in pig excrement and therefore you could be ceremonially unclean. So it was normal that if you went to someone's house to visit them, they would put a tub of water out for you to wash your feet before entering into the house. Now, on top of that, this was considered such a dirty disgusting thing to do, that if you had a Jewish slave, so you get the idea of a slave, you own a slave, they're your property, you get to tell them to do whatever you want, the Jewish law forbid a slave from washing feet. It was considered too lowly a task for a slave. Isn't that incredible? Too lowly a task for a slave. If you had a Gentile slave, then it was something you could ask or command them to do, but you could not ask a Jewish slave to do it. But we do have some incredibly powerful examples where this taboo was broken. There's a romantic Jewish novel of 100 BC called Joseph and Asenath. And Joseph's bride, Asenath, is so overcome with love for Joseph that she offers to wash his feet. When Joseph protests and sends for a servant girl, Asenath interrupts him and says, No, my Lord, because you are my Lord from now on and I am your maidservant, for your feet are my feet and your hands are my hands, another woman will never wash your feet. Right? Positively beautiful and saucy stuff. So there you go, right? Turn the fans up. And anyway, um, they don't write them like that anymore, do they? So, so there you go. They're using that kind of idea that washing someone's feet is such a, an incredibly amazing thing to do. So that's our context. Now just think for a moment. If it makes it uncomfortable... And it feels slightly demeaning to let someone wash your feet. How would you be if Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who spoke creation into existence, the one in whom when people come into his glorified radiant power, they fall as though dead on the ground. How would you feel if he bent? to wash your feet. A position so low that a Jewish slave couldn't do it. And Jesus bends to wash their feet. I wonder how you would react to that. Awesome. Jesus is going to wash my feet. Do a thorough job, Lord. Give them a quick clean yourself before he gets there because you're slightly embarrassed about it. So you know, quick sort of wash so they don't look so bad by the time he gets to your feet. Or maybe you'd be like Peter. And don't we all love Peter because he says what we all think? No way. 
not happening. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. I feel like that would probably be a lot of us. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand now, but you will. If I don't wash your feet, you will have no part with me. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, does the foot washing here of Christ is actually symbolizing the sacrifice of Jesus. So think about the context again. Jesus lays aside his garments. He takes off his outer garment. He casts aside, in a sense, the position and role and authority that he has. The same way he casts aside his equality with God. He wraps himself in a towel, taking on the form of a slave. It was a slave's thing to do. He pours water in the basin in the way that he will pour out his blood to make clean. He washes their feet to cleanse them, symbolically enacting that he will wash us clean from sin. The whole of the foot washing is a dramatic portrayal of the humility of Christ where he will go to the cross, pour out his blood to appease the Father's wrath and pay the penalty of our sin, making us clean with God that we will have eternal life forevermore. Right? That is what he's enacting. This is why he says to Peter, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part with me. You don't understand now, but you will. Because after the cross, Peter will understand that Jesus shed his blood to make us clean. Right? That is what Jesus is enacting. The whole thing really portrays what we read in Philippians 2, 5-9. to If you have your Bible there, the whole foot washing thing, the sacrifice, is what we read about in Philippians 2, 5-9. to You should know this passage really, really well. Um, There's a wonderful, wonderful illustration of who Christ is. Philippians 2, 5 to 9. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Right? The ultimate humility. The not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but stepping down, taking on the form of a man and humbling himself to die on the cross in our place. As I said, this is why Jesus says to Peter, you must be washed or you can have no part with me. The reality is the Bible says that every single person, everyone in this room, everyone in this country, everyone in this planet is dirty, stained with the guilt of sin before our holy and righteous God. Every single person will go to hell because they do not meet God's holy standard. That's the Word of God. We are all filthy in our sin. The only hope of salvation is that you accept that Jesus died on the cross in your place and He, by His sacrifice, can make you clean. That is the only way that we can get to heaven. 
That's what Jesus is showing here in this room. And again, don't you love Peter? As I said, he's a guy that kind of says what we're all thinking. He gets an inkling, maybe, of what Jesus is talking about. He's like, okay then, Lord, wash all of me. Right? You know, just just do the lot then. All or nothing kind of guy. Then Jesus says something really important. No, he's enacting his death and resurrection for us. And he says to Peter, if you do this, you don't need any other cleaning. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus pays the full penalty of your sin. Amen? So when you put your faith in Jesus, there is no other sacrifice required. God declares that you are right with him forevermore because of what Jesus did. Oh man, hallelujah church, right? That's what he's saying to Peter. No, when you've experienced my cleansing, that's it, job done. Church, you're all sitting there looking at me at the moment because I'm the one speaking to you and And the person you're looking at right now is a sinner. Every day. There is nothing perfect about me in the flesh. I do things I don't want to do. I don't do things I want to do. I fail every day. But I get to heaven because of what Christ has done. Because he makes me clean. Man. How much do we have to be thankful for? How grateful that Christ has paid the penalty of our sin, that his sacrifice makes us clean. Do you know it's incredible? I, I'm not going to dive into this this morning because, you know, time and everything, but our text points out, again, the sovereignty of God. Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him. Our text says that it wasn't an accident. It was by the plan and will of God But the point being this, Jesus also washes Judas' feet. How amazing is that? Right? The humility of Christ that he would wash the feet of the one he knows is going to betray him. If Jesus can serve even in that context, if the humility of Christ would let him even wash Judas' feet, man, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? How was Jesus able to do that, do you think? What is it that made him able to wash Judas' feet? Where does that humility come from? Where does that willingness to to stoop down and serve come from? Well, I draw your attention to verse 3 of our passage, John 13, 3. Note what it says. Jesus knew knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Jesus knew who he was, where he was from, and where he was going. Why is that there at the start of this passage? Because it means that Jesus knew no matter how he served, no matter what he went through, nothing could change who he was, where he was from, and where he was going. He could wash the feet of disciples, and that could never change the fact that he is from God and going back to God, right? Because he knew who he was, it didn't matter then how he served. 
And this is why it's so important, church, that each of us has to come to the truth, the saving truth, that we are saved by the sacrifice of Christ alone. We are adopted into his family, and he has promised that those he's adopted, he will glorify forevermore. If you are chosen by Christ this morning, you are not only chosen to be saved, you are chosen to be his child, you are chosen to be glorified, you are chosen to be with him forevermore, and no one can take you from the Father's hand. That's what the Bible says to us. That is your identity this morning, given to you on the basis of what Christ has done, not on what you do, so therefore it cannot be be taken from you. You are his child if you put your faith in Jesus. And guess what? Nothing, nothing can change that. Doesn't matter what your earthly nationality is. Doesn't matter what your earthly job is. Doesn't matter how rough or wrong your background is. No one can take your identity in Christ from you. So if that's true, if we know what Christ has done and we know where we're going, then that should give us the humility to serve in any way that God asks us to. None of us need to fight for recognition because we know who ultimately gives us our reward. We don't need to try and earn earthly praises We can serve secretly, give generously, forgive freely, and we don't need a press release because we know where our reward lies. We know who we are. We know where we're going. So what's it matter about earthly recognition? Now, we can get this wrong all the time. When I left the church out in Alice Springs, while I was out there, we'd grown to a church of about... 500 people if everyone turned up on the same Sunday, which I know has never happened since Jesus left. But nonetheless, if everyone came to church on the same day, it was pretty big. Uh, And so when I went to leave that church, I went to a small country church of about 60 people. um, And I literally got phone calls that were semi-abusive, kind of going, what are you doing? You You could go to a big, you could take on a church in Sydney. Like, you're ready to climb the rung, Sam. What metric are people applying there? You can climb the rungs of earthly success. You can have a little more power, a little more prestige. Maybe more people will will hear you. People don't need to hear me. They need to hear Jesus, right? That's our goal. So I... We've got to be so careful in our lives that we're not applying worldly ideas of power and recognition and privilege and prestige and climbing that ladder to things that are meaningless because we know who we are in Christ and Christ is enough. Amen? And because we know who we are in Christ and Christ is enough, then we're free to do whatever he asks us to do. This is the great equalizer. I said earlier, I think it's easier to wash someone else's feet than have someone wash ours. You know, that's just a form of pride. I'm not good enough. Blah, blah, blah. 
No, you're not good enough. That's the gospel. No one is. But Christ has asked us to carry one another's burdens. Right? That's the reality. So Jesus tells us in verses 14 to 15 that he has set an example and we are to do the same. Obviously, he's not talking here about the cross. We can't exactly do what he did there, but he's talking about his service in foot washing that we should wash one another's feet. Now, this passage is primarily talking about within the church, people who are disciples of Jesus. Now, I've talked about this many times, about the Bible's concern for the poor in the community, but this passage is primarily about the body of Christ, Christ's people and our concern for one another. This is why Galatians 6.10, it says, do good to all people, but especially to those within the family of believers. Within the church, this is where foot washing is supposed to really be evident, really be seen, really come home to roost in the way that we care for one another. Foot washing is to be done by all and for all within the church. I think this can be one of the great problems in modern Christianity is we're so quick at at segregating the church. You know, we do kids' ministry, youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, young adults' ministry, craft group ministry, home group ministry, da-da-da-da-da. The problem is the Bible tells us that within the family, we are meant to wash all of one another's feet. We don't need to get to be choosy and picky about whose feet that we wash. Now, I'm not against having those other groups, by the way, but here's the thing. If you only love the people in the church who are like you, that's not loving the church, that's loving yourself, right? If you only love people in the church who are like you in age or in taste or in gender or whatever it might be, if you only love people who are like you, that is self-love, not sacrificial love. And the Bible calls us to love the church, right? To love the whole church. If you only hang out with people like yourself, you don't wash anyone else's feet, you're really washing your own. You just sit in a little comfortable bubble. The reality is the truth of the gospel shines most brightly in a community of people who have no other cause to love one another than the fact that Christ has called them together as family, right? They have no other cause to love one another than the fact that Christ has called them together as family. You've probably heard it said, it goes, God, family, church, wrong. The Bible's pretty clear and it says, it goes, God, church, family. In fact, the scripture says, when the family would stand against you, you must choose Christ. Don't get me wrong, the Bible's full of great things about husband loving your wives, how Christ loved the church, fathers don't embitter your children, uh, but when these things come to a head, God comes first, right? God, the church, family, and then our family. So the church is a family, and in the church we are commanded by Christ to wash one another's feet. So let's get down to it. Should we? Literally, wash one another's feet. 
My answer is no. It was a cultural practice that had a cultural meaning which is simply not understood, not practiced, and not meaningful today. What does it mean? It means that there is no task too arduous, too lowly, or too humbling for a Christian to serve one another in. Right? No task too lowly, too humbling to serve one another in. If Christ could do the lowest of the lowest tasks that were available in his day, what he is saying is do likewise. You serve in any humbling way that you are able in your day to care for one another in the church. We know that early on in the church, the apostles, those directly trained by Jesus, were caring for widows and orphans and waiting on tables. We know for a fact they didn't consider this position too lowly for them. Those directly trained by Christ were doing that sort of ministry, waiting on tables. Now, we know for a fact that the ministry got so big, it was thousands of people came to faith that they went, hang on a second, we've got no time to prepare the Word of God anymore. We're going to have to get some more people engaged, right? So we, we get that, but they never considered the position too lowly for them. They were doing it until... Things just got too big and busy for them to handle, right? They were willing, they were involved to serve. So they arranged deacons, etc., to come in and, and practice humility and serve as well. This is the truth of Scripture. No one in the church, no one in the church is too lowly to serve in any position, or too mighty, sorry, to serve in any position. Right? That's, it's just not true. Like I said, practicalities of time, etc., etc. Look, things work out how they do, but everyone has to be willing. And can I tell you this, church, for your encouragement? Many here, during the pandemic of the last two years, have washed one another's feet. Personally, I can say myself, when our whole household was in lockdown... Man, I almost got sick of the Facebook messages and text messages saying, can we do some shopping for you? Can we drop something off to you? It's like, we're good. We're just copy it and paste, right? We're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. But that's the church washing one another's feet. It's the church saying, we're prepared to drive 20 minutes out of town. That's a big deal in Bundaberg. We're prepared to drive all the way out towards Avondale to drop you off some groceries. I've never been more humbled. Uh, anyway, so, you know, there was this general attitude, and I know I'm not alone in that because I know there are lots of families. I've messaged some families in the church and said, hey, can I drop you something off? And the message I get back often is, look, everyone's been caring for us. We're, so we are washing one another's feet in that way, which is what we are called to do. And we are all called, every single one of us, to humble ourselves and perform whatever task, no matter how meaningless or small, because that's what Christ did and that's the example he set and that's what he commands us to do. Right? That is the ministry of the church give you a concrete example. Dr. Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. And over a few years, he began to see his wife's memory falter. And then she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. 
and her condition began to worsen. But here he is, principal of a successful, growing Bible college. Many of his colleagues said to him, you should put her into care because God is using you in this ministry. He resigned to care for her and he had these words to say. It is more than keeping promises and being fair. As I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. Washing his wife's feet, caring for her, rather than the the position of power. This is the heart of bushwashing, to lovingly care for and support those who cannot return the favour. Because we know that our highest Lord has washed our feet. And in humility, we are willing to follow his example by caring for one another. So this is the beautiful significance of the foot washing. It's twofold. It refers to the spiritual reality of Jesus cleansing us from sin, his humility, and his having paid the full penalty. Secondly, it is the example of Christ where we should willingly and humbly serve one another as we have opportunity, with nothing that we do considered too lowly for us. I don't want you to literally wash my feet, but many of you have in practice already done it. And I thank you for that. And I pray as a church that we continue, continue to wash one another's feet following the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that our salvation in Christ is secure. It cannot be more secure. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance. We are held in the Father's hand. Nothing can take our salvation from us. Lord, we may serve in obscurity. We may serve in the background. We might be washing toilets. We might be ringing people up in the background to encourage them, and no one else sees it. But you do, Lord, and our position is secure. We do not need earthly praise. Lord, I pray that following your example, we would be a church that humbly, humbly serves. Lord, we pray that you would lead us into the humility of Christ. In and through your name we pray. Amen.